Hey, what's up, S31? Welcome back to another episode of what is shaping to be the hottest podcast about politics in town. And today, once again, we have the man with us, the senator himself, Action Jackson, with his chief of staff, Joanna Garcia. We're going to, you know, talk about a little bit about what happened during the week, give you an inside look to what's going on behind closed doors. And at the end, invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, so let's get this thing started. So let me welcome you both. How are you doing? Senator Robert Jackson. Doing Chief great. Staff, doing Joanna things Garcia. considered. I'm doing well. Thank you. All right, that's good. That's good. So this is the head of Team Jackson. We got the two heavyweights of Team Jackson here sitting with us today. Uh-oh, look out. <laughs> <laughs> so this is definitely going to shape up to be an interesting conversation. Um, but before we start, um, and I'll ask you both, or I'll roll the ball over to both of you. Um, there was a fire this week, a tragic fire. It happened, well, actually last week on Sunday, where I think 17 lives were lost. And over 60 people were hurt. Um, some of them have suffered life-threatening injuries. So <clears throat> we hope, we don't know where they stand at now, but we hope that they do recover. Um, I just want to hear a little bit of, you know, some reflections, something that you, as an office, Team Jackson has also done, um, because we are worried about these fires going on. And I just want to make sure that everyone who's listening um, actually gets uh, an acute understanding of this, because this is more than just a fire. It seems to be also a housing injustice. So I'll throw the ball over to you, um, Senator, and to you, Joanna, and just open up the mics for you. So let me just uh, express uh, my team, Team Jackson's condolences to the families uh, that have lost uh, loved ones and have suffered as a result of the devastating fire in the Bronx as Congress member uh, Richie Torres indicated uh, that this was one of the most devastating fires and the top four fires in the city of New York have all been in the Bronx. Uh, and we have to look at uh, the environment that we're in, the housing, and whether or not all of the fire codes are being adhered to, making sure doors are closing behind themselves automatically, uh, stairwell uh, uh, doors and housing doors, uh, but most importantly, we must all come together in order to assist and to help uh, those that have been negatively impacted as a result of this fire. Uh, so that's so, so important for us to come together. And based on all of the news, uh, people not only from New York City, but around the country and other parts of the world uh, are you know, also contributing and expressing condolences to the family and friends of the lost ones. In fact, I reached out to uh, Bronxville President Vanessa Gibson, could not reach her because she, um, obviously they are all so busy um, expressing my condolences. Gustavo Rivera, who is the state senator for that area, uh, and Richie Torres and all the other electors, uh, they're working hard in order to ensure do the best they can in order to provide for the families along with the Red Cross. Uh, we do have a bill uh, that would address uh, the safety issue. And let me turn it over to Joanna Garcia, our chief of staff, who thought of this bill. And, and now we are hoping that it's addressed very, very soon in the New York State Senate. Joanna. 
Thank you, Senator. Um, I want to. Uh, I do want to echo um, my condolences uh, to everyone that was uh, impacted. Um, it is a tragedy that uh, has stayed with me. I, I think about how many young, so young lives uh, were lost, um, as young as two years old, and it is it is tragic. And as you mentioned. Um, there have been too many fires in the Bronx and there have been too many fires in the communities of Uptown, um, where our district represents. And when you step back and you look at it, we're talking about communities that are typically low income, working class, um, communities. We're talking about communities where buildings are old, the infrastructure is aged, um, and where buildings are neglected or residents are just uh, exposed to living conditions where there are multiple, multiple um, building violations. Uh, so it is a matter of housing justice. It is a matter of taking a look at our, our aging infrastructure. And it is a matter of of, of racism, honestly, um, because when you look at it, the whole picture, uh, you can clearly see uh, where these fires are happening. And yes, so they're, they're um, in response to one of the earlier fires, to one of the fires early last year uh, in Inwood, um, I thought about how many, many complaints uh, we heard about flickering lights. Something, you know, where you, you plug something in or you have to make sure you ha you can't have all your uh, electric uh, appliances on because the lights will flicker and it is a sign of an aging electrical infrastructure. And so um, I came up with uh, legislation and thank you, Senator, for introducing it, uh, mandating that with every lease renewal, uh, there has to be evidence that the landlord actually provided inspections of electricity because our our families, um, our New York residents should not be playing Russian roulette with uh, turning on an appliance and wondering if that's going to be the time uh, that the electricity will go haywire behind a wall uh, and lead to tragedy. These, the, All of these are very preventable. It's, it's important also to stress, um, <clears throat> and the office will be doing this because this is an office that does the work on the ground. Uh, the importance of increasing fire safety awareness. Mm -hmm. um, yes, this is um, an issue that falls first on the property owners, and this is why this legislation is very important. But there is also the other side of it, which is us making sure that when tragedies like this, and I hope it never occurs again, but if they do, um, people are well prepared to make the right decision so we don't lose as many lives as we did um, last week. And we're definitely looking forward to teaming up with our local fire departments um, in the, within the district to you know help educate our folks and make sure that we encourage them to practice um, safe fire prevention. Can I add something to that? Sure. You mm -hmm. know, and this is so true, um, I would also encourage uh, tenants associations to reach out to their local um, uh, firehouse and, and invite them to tenants association to talk about fire safety. Invite them to actually do a walkthrough through yes. your building yes. 
Um, you have to, you, you know, I mean, are there, are the sprinklers working? Uh, we need to talk about, uh, accessible and affordable fire extinguishers. And, and even if you have one, how to use it effectively. Um, I think we need to, uh, we need to encourage our tenants to, uh, build closer relationships with the, uh, local fire houses. And I, I also say that you always have to change, uh, mm -hmm. your smoke detectors, yep. uh, no, uh, that where the fire escape is, if there's a fire escape building, uh, the fire that took place uh, in the Bronx, it was a fireproof. And so uh, educating people what's the best way to handle a fire, uh, sort of like in school used to have a fire drill uh, in order to make sure that people know what to do, where to go. Uh, and it's not a surprise if in fact something happens. Uh, but making sure that um, wherever the fire escape is, make sure that the access to the fire escape is not uh, blocked by furniture and things like that. Uh, also knowing that if in fact you leave, your door should automatically close by itself. And if not, you need to communicate with your landlord, my door does not close automatically. And that's extremely important for every door to work like that. Um, and uh, as I indicated and Joanna said, that if you have a fire extinguisher, you should make sure that your family members know how to use it. It basically says stand about six feet back and spray uh, from left to right or right to left if there's a fire. But always remember, if there's a fire in your apartment, you should dial 911 to report a fire because you're not a firefighter where you may uh, try to distinguish it yourself. Having FDNY uh, do it and having them come to tennis associations to discuss it is extremely important. It will be helpful for saving lives and also property. Something else, um, and we're gonna now go into something else very important as well, um, since we already spoke about housing injustice. Um, the eviction, New York eviction and foreclosure moratorium um, expire on January 15th, um, although the Office of Temporary and Disability Assistant has reopened the ERAP portal. And guys, we, to all of you, we have um, on Robert's e-updates, Robert's social media, we have um, included the link uh, for those of you who have yet to apply. This is a second opportunity to apply and at least try to have some eviction protection. Um, but I'm gonna roll over the ball to you guys so you can tell us what's the status on that, what's going on, um, what are we waiting for? What do we need? What are we waiting for? We're waiting for billions of dollars from the federal government uh, in order to uh, address the needs of New York City, uh, which is uh, the largest uh, city in the, in the country. Uh, when you talk about uh, uh, tenants, as far as concerned, uh, many know that I have the most rent-regulated units in the entire state of New York, and Gustavo Rivera of the Bronx has the second most. And the most important thing that we need to do is to ensure that people uh, uh, action is not taken to try to evict them. So even though the moratorium was not, ex uh, 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 you know, continue on, everyone that have, uh, have not uh, filled out an application for ERAP, the Emergency Rental Assistance Program, you should do it right away. Uh, and if it's approved, even though there's no money in the program, that uh, once the New York State gets money from the feds, then your application will be considered 
on a first come first serve basis, as long as you meet that. And let me just tell you, landlords want you to apply also, because if in fact you approve, then that money goes to them and thus your back rent for the period of time that is approved will be basically gone. So that's a good thing. And we ask you, if you have not applied, what are you waiting for? Apply. If you've lost income during the pandemic, uh, this is the time to do it. Uh, if you don't do it, uh, and then the landlord goes to evict you, uh, first question, I guess, if I'm a judge, I'm going to ask, did you apply for ERAP? That's a good question to ask. Uh, but if the answer is no, then why not? And so obviously on our e-update, it's not only in English, but the second language uh, most spoken in New York City is Spanish. And Joanna, uh, tell us about whether or not we are hearing anything from constituents uh, in our senatorial district, which runs from Chelsea all the way up to Marble Hill about ERAP, if you don't mind. Yes, certainly uh, we have been hearing uh concerns before the deadline of the 15 coming up of concern of, of being evicted. Now, you know, the beginning of the process of eviction does take a while, but it is a psychological stressor on families and no one wants to have to go through that. Even if you think that uh, you as a, t a tenant will ultimately uh, be vic victorious, it is incredibly uh, disruptive. But we are hearing, starting to hear from uh, tenants about the ERAP. And I do want to give the uh, website so that you can apply is Otada is O, T as in Tom, D as in David, A as in Adam, dot NY dot gov uh, slash ERAP, E R A P as in Peter. And uh, you can go ahead and start that application. If you have any questions while you're filling out that application, or if you think you need assistance, you can certainly call our office at 212 544 0173. As temperatures um, continue to, you know, dip, it's going to be extremely cold on Monday. We have a snowstorm coming our way. Today is 19 degrees currently. Mm -hmm. COVID rising, it is imperative. It's extremely important and urgent for, you know, to keep people in their homes. It's never been more urgent than today. Um, continue ERAP, of course, will make a world of a difference for New Yorkers, specifically New Yorkers from the working class community. Um, but, you know, we have to wait and hope that we do get additional funding from our federal partners. Uh, but Senator, I, I do hear in, in Joanna that the state Senate requested an additional $996 million um, from the federal government at the state level. Can you tell us if any news on that? Sure. The governor basically requested about 900, uh, about uh, 900 million, basically a billion dollars from the feds in order to help the, uh, fund ERAP. And the, the government responded with $27 million. To, but what was said in the discussions that we've had is that uh, around the country, uh, many of the municipalities have not used all of the monies. And so the federal government will claw that back, meaning bring it back and redistribute it to areas that need it the most. And so we're hoping that that would be New York uh, State specifically. Uh, and thus, you know, when people ask, why should I apply to ERAP when there's no money in the fund? Well, we're hoping uh, that the government will come through, uh, put some more money in the program, and thus you will be able to be protected. And if not, 
the worst case scenario is this is going to buy you more time uh, because uh, once all of the cases are found in court, it would take a year to two years in order to alleviate all of that. That's only if you've lost income during the pandemic. If you owed rent before that, there's a possibility that will go first because it had nothing to do with the pandemic. So we're asking people to understand where we're coming from, trying our best to do what we can to help uh, the money come to New York State. Uh, and if in fact, uh, worst case scenario, we don't get a whole lot, uh, then at least you'll have more time in order to one, uh, gain employment and pay the back rent and find other one shots from the Department of Human Services of New York City and or because the state, uh, Tom DiNapoli, who is this New York State controller, basically said about a month ago that we were about $7 billion uh, more than what we expected. And so as a result of that, we may be able to put some money in ourselves, but we're asking the federal government to come first. Yep, and the message that I think we certainly want to give to um, all the listeners is that we, uh, in the office, we are doing all that we can to be supportive of people that are uh, feeling housing insecurity. So it is, it is, it isn't just ERAP. That's that's one big piece of the puzzle. There are other programs that we are ready. Uh, we are we are talking to our city partners, our community-based organizations, our state agencies to make sure that the resources are there. Um, and another priority for uh, the Senate this year is the good cause. Um, eviction. Uh, it is something that we're pushing to make sure uh, that everyone has a right and every opportunity to stay uh, within their homes. Yes. So folks, it's very important that you access this portal, apply, because it gives you two things. It puts you on the waiting list. So when federal funding does come in, you'll be online for that. And it also gives you eviction protection. Um, so moving on to something else, uh, this week, we, I mean, it's been a buzz for a while, but definitely the temperature went up on this, this um, issue during the week. Um, because of the spread of this variant, it's been like wildfire, the Omicron, there's been a um, low student attendance, like never before seen across the city. Uh, many parents and advocacy groups like AQE are demanding that the mayor and the governor keep our students safe, expanding test availability, offering a remote option. Um, you know, the mayor is playing this back and forth. One day he says he's not going to open the schools. Another day he's considering it, shutting down the schools. Um, some people have suggested maybe a two-week shutdown, get everyone tested, move forward. Where are we? What are your ideas? Where are we standing? And Senator... This time we're going to speak ladies first. Without a doubt, Joanna Garcia is more up to speed than I am uh, as far as education. So I always turn to her for her opinion. That's because you were such a great mentor. Thank you, <laughs> um, it's been, I mean, the only, the only word to describe it, it's been a mess um, and it's impacted mostly the students um, and the teachers and the staff and, and families. And I think what's at the heart of this, and, and it sounds unrelated to people that don't think about it, but we're making as a city these rash decisions where we're putting students and staff 
in what are unsafe spaces uh, with all the respect uh, that, that the, the mayor deserves. The reality is that for as much as you want to say the school is safe, it isn't safe. We've seen that. We've seen uh, the Omicron uh, COVID cases uh, spike. Um, the reality is that when you don't have childcare, affordable, accessible childcare uh, for families, um, then you're, what you're doing is that you're swapping school uh, for childcare and you're not really providing real choices for families. What I also want to add is that for a very long time, families have been asking for a remote option. We have to validate that families are fearful. We have to validate that there are children who are immunocompromised. We have to validate that teachers, either they get sick or they have to care for loved ones who are sick. And you cannot run a school system where you are pulling school aides, school aides who do not have the training, who are not don't have, you know, the wherewithal to go from what their job responsibilities are and then put them in the classroom. It is not fair to the school aid. It is not fair to the children. It is not fair to when we say, hey, this we're, we want to make sure schools are open so our children can learn. Newsflash, our children have not been learning since they came back on January 3rd, no learning has happened. We've had situations where children are what I would term um, as warehoused in the auditoriums because of staffing shortages. And no one has yet to really have a strong mitigating plan for COVID spread during lunchtime. What are you doing to mitigate the spread when when the students are at lunch with their mask down, socializing, which is normal for them and eating? So this is an issue so much so that students walked out um, this week, uh, last week, uh, in protest to really bring attention to the fact that they do not want to continue with these unsafe uh, conditions and a remote option is something that has to be considered. And I, you know, I know some people are going to listen to this and they're going to hear the word option and still hear, oh, close to schools. That is not what we're saying. And closing the schools, let's say that, that, that we pause, think, switch it around a little bit in your brain. If you hit pause, for two weeks, we already have more than 30% of the student population at home already. Those students are not learning. We're not providing resources for them. We're not providing support to those families. So if you just hit pause on opening up schools so that you can slow down the spread and you can honor those that don't feel comfortable yet, then I think we will be much more ahead of this crisis that we're seeing in the schools. I, I agree totally. One, one of the things that I always hear in the streets, um, Senator and Joanna, is, okay, we pause it, but then what happens if three months down the line or the next school year, again, another variant just pops up, are we going to continue going back and forth? Um, to that, what do you say? Well, I, you know, I've listened to the mayor saying that the, the best place for our kids are in school. Uh, because of the uh, the least amount of transmission occurs there. But what he's also said now is that uh, he is trying to be flexible to go with uh, 
a, a remote option. And I know that they have had, when it, who's they? Uh, the mayor uh, with the chancellor and others at the highest level of the city of New York. They're holding weekly briefings, discussions with elected public officials and leaders uh, in order to feel the pulse uh, of elected public officials and others uh, regarding th this whole situation. I mean, you, so, jo you joined one of those calls, no? Yeah, I was on the call last week. And I expect to be on a call this week uh, because this is talking about the the education of our children. And I can understand uh, not wanting to close schools, and that's why uh, Joanna indicated, put a pause on it, and then we assess as we go along. And let's not be uh, just uh, uh, have, let's say, blinders on and just go in one direction, uh, because if you have blinders on, you can't see what's in front of you. Okay, so you need to be flexible enough in order to make adjustments and do it uh, as if you are a parent uh, that depend on childcare, a parent that don't have the type of resources to have food in your house on a continuous basis, where many of the children go to school to have good meals, to have make sure that they are being taken care of. I mean, that's the hard reality of life that we live in, and everyone does not have all of the things that are necessary in order to make things go so smoothly throughout the day and throughout the week. And and that is one of the, uh, I would say, the issues that I think uh, the mayor's office and the chancellor has used as a reason as to why not do either remote option or why not uh, hit pause, because uh, they say that students use schools as a place uh, to get their meals. Uh, but hello. Let's think out of the box. We, I think, uh, have learned many lessons um, in this pandemic, and we can certainly switch temporarily for meals to go. We can think of ways to make sure that these uh, identify who these families are and make sure that there's a plan to uh, ensure that they that they are fed. Because if we really do care about food insecurity and uh, and uh, we used as an excuse, then all year round, including the the winter holidays, we would have food options for these families. And I know they do it. They did that during the pandemic. And so I mean, we just have to be able to adjust very quickly. Yes. And but, I also and also really important Center, yeah. is the testing. We have to expand. We have to expand testing uh, right now uh, when they say, oh, we're, we're testing. And then these are I mean, the 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 reporting of positive cases uh in the first place is very behind it's lagging uh which makes it very difficult for school principals to make decisions about how to keep their school community safe uh, but also they're testing 10 percent of those that consented which actually turns out to be a very 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 minute part of the that school population and we should actually flip it around and uh and just assume that everyone's going to get tested and parents need to opt out of testing and as you know, you may have heard uh, recently that the federal government, uh, now you can call up uh, or email mm -hmm. and they will send, uh, I think- The rapid test, yeah. Rapid test for boxes. Starting starting January 19th. Starting January 19th to each home. So you can, there'll probably be a phone number and we, we get that, we will give it well, to you. Well, we have it on the update and, it, and it's a website and it's covidtesses.gov. COVIDTestes.gov. COVIDTestes with an S? With an S at the end, yes. .gov. Mm. They will set up a phone number for those who don't have access to computer or, or high speed, but that has yet to happen. At the moment, that's the website you have to access is 
covidtestes.gov. Sure. Well, that's 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 important. And we'll be sure to update that information as soon as it comes in on your social media. Right. And on your e-update as well. Um, I mean, clearly, whatever is in place now, the inadequate testing protocols on, you know, I, I don't understand. I, I, and I don't know if I'm, if I'm hearing things, but I heard that kids are not, um, it's not mandated for them to come back into school with, and provide a negative test. Um, so you don't know if they're coming back positive. Um, but what happens if they test negative is not too clear. Uh, and this is not working. You have a shortage of staff. You know, you have teachers dropping left and right because they're getting, you know, they're getting sick. They're not only coming up positive, but they're, they're getting really sick. So now you don't have teachers to, you know, to serve all these students in the school as well. But then you have, like Joanna said, you know, you have more than 30 percent or I heard no, crazy numbers. They like 70 percent of students who, who are not even considering or going to school at all. Um, so, yeah, we, we definitely hope that this it is a. And I get it. I get the frustration, but people also have to remember this is something new. I mean, we never had a pandemic in my lifetime. <laughs> I don't know in Robert's lifetime, but I don't know in my lifetime, I never had a pandemic. <laughs> Not mine either. Uh, so we're, we're, you know, as signs, we learn as we go. But I think it's it's about time that the city, you know, got its act together. And, and at least when it comes to schools, they, they have a decent you know, plan. Well, you know, Eric says what? Um, uh, Get things done. That's what he, his, his commitment in the first 100 days. And obviously to get things done, you have to be flexible enough in order to make adjustments in order to get things done. Mm -hmm. And so basically uh, there's been pressure out there from advocates and just by the sheer numbers of children that are absent, uh, we need to get things done and get it done right. Indeed, indeed. Uh, one quick note, the city has a parent um, hotline to answer specific questions. Um, it's 212-COVID-19. That's 212-268-4319. Um, parents, please call that number so you could be also up to date on what's going on um, with the schools specifically considered um, around COVID. So, Senator, you went up to Albany this week. Yes, yes, yes. And I heard some crazy stories that you decided to run when it was like four below zero, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> Talk to me. What happened on Monday? I hear that a specific reform package was voted on on Monday. Give us a, some insight into that. Well, um, we had a voter reform packages that will allow, uh, for example, uh, colleges to have a voting right there on campus. Uh, these are the college, some of the colleges, basically upstate New York, uh, to be able to have a voting right there. Also, voter registration uh, and early voting was dealt with also. So early voting, you know, there a certain period of time you can vote in advance. Uh, and that was, as you know, the referendums that were on November, there were three referendums that dealt with voting. And they were all defeated uh, statewide. But the bottom line is, uh, we don't want voter suppression. We want to be able to have flexibility in voting, make it easier for the citizens of our country to vote. And basically the voting uh, reform packages are giving more flexibility to the voters of our state in order to vote. Meaning the geographical location, some in college campuses, uh, some in other school districts, and also for people uh, that uh, in order to vote uh, by absentee ballot, right now you have to say, uh, I am sick or I'm out of the city. And some people just 
put stuff like that so they can get it. In essence, they're not really telling the truth. But people should be able to receive their ballots at home and send it in and vote without having an excuse. What happens is when you do that, then it goes back to the Board of Elections. They, before they even open the ballot, they're going to verify that you are the voter that you say you are and that the signature matches. And then they know it's a valid ballot that's in that envelope. And that's okay. And that will make us to be more uh, accountable in voting. Instead of saying that only 50% of the people of our city of our state voted, we should be up to 90%, 100% uh, so that democracy uh, takes place. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. And that happened on Monday. Uh, it, it passed overwhelmingly, obviously, in the Democratic-led Senate. Uh, Republicans, many of them were against it. Uh, and I don't know why, uh, but that's the way they, uh, the ball bounces up in Albany, meaning that democracy uh, wins by the majority of the vote of the 63 state senators. You need a, 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 a simple majority, and a simple majority of 62 is what? The 63, that is, is 30, 32. 33, 34. All right. I hear that a new um, judge was also appointed to the highest court. Oh, yeah. Yes, there was a judge that was recommended uh, by the governor, Kathy Hochul, and uh, most people, meaning the members uh, there, spoke highly of this judge. Her name is uh, uh, Justice Shirley Trotman. She was an appellate court justice up in the uh, Buffalo area. And this, when you look at her history, she was, uh, besides being uh, a, a prosecutor initially, she was, a, I think, a civil court judge, a Supreme Court justice, appellate court justice, uh, and her, the recommendations that she had by the New York State Lawyers Association, I believe, and others, it was that she was highly qualified. And as a result of that, uh, a recommendation was made by the governor in order for her to be uh, confirmed by the Senate, and which we did. And in fact, uh, I listened to some of the Republican leaders get up and speak on her behalf, and all of them had praise for her. And as a result of that, it's my understanding that the total vote out of 63 state senators was 100% all in favor of this judge being uh, now confirmed by the New York State Senate uh, to be a Court of Appeals justice. Here, here, Republicans and Democrats agreed. Yeah, because the wow. qualifications and what she's done, and obviously uh, it's been said that she is the second uh, a black judge to ever sit on the Court of Appeals, uh, and she's a woman also. It seems as though, Joanna, that women are leading all over the place with how many city council members? 31 women out of 51. I've always said that we are the gender that masters uh, multitasking. So, and, well, and, and she's literally doing that as she speaks. She's on her <laughs> she's on her phone talking on the mic. Uh, but real quickly, what else happened during the week? And then I want to switch it over to something very important that came up on your e update. And I'm gonna roll the ball to Joanna on that one. Sure. We we uh, obviously uh, we were up there uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and we're going back uh, this coming Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. But there were a bunch of bills that basically had passed before, meaning last year, uh, and we call those we call those chapter amendments. But basically, these are bills that were passed by the Senate, 
may not have been passed by the assembly. And so as a result, we have to, to re-vote on them again. So basically there were about a, a 10 or a dozen chapter amendments, bills that we passed before, that we passed again, so that we can try to move those into the assembly. The assembly hopefully will pass them, and then they will go to the governor for either her signing or veto. We hope that she will sign these chapter amendments into law. All right, so moving on. The cannabis corner popped up on your e-update, and I want to speak now to your chief of staff, not because she um, uses cannabis, but she's definitely <laughs> very well versed in what's going on with the legislation and what's going on in our community as well and why this popped up on your e-update. So um, if I may, before going to the cannabis uh, 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 conversation, I also do want to inform everyone. I think, Senator, if I'm not mistaken, in Albany, you all also passed the open meetings law. I think it's really important um, that, for example, for those that participate on democracy on a level of community boards, of CECs, all these really important on the ground participation um, in government, uh, that we will be able to participate in these meetings and do our civic duty virtually um, and safely. Um, so that's something that uh, yes, was passed yes. by the Senate. It was also passed by the Assembly, and we're just waiting for the governor to sign it. And, and, and really, community boards were very interested in that mm -hmm. because obviously, um, uh, you know, community boards in New York City, there's 59 community boards in the city with 50 members all appointed by uh, the borough president of the respective borough. And some of the leaders have asked, well, what are you all going to do about extending uh, the moratorium on open meetings law? And will we pass that? Uh, mm -hmm. this past week. So now we will continue until, I guess, the state of emergency is, is over, declared by the governor. Yep. Uh, so cannabis, um, in which we have um, lovingly called for our e-updates, the Cannabis Corner. Uh, we're going to have to trademark somehow uh, that name. Um, uh, but uh, so the issue of, of cannabis, um, and if we want to get pretty technical and legal about it, the MRTA, the Marijuana Regulation Taxation Act, um, that legalizes adult use of cannabis in New York is really important, especially uh, for communities that are impacted. And we do represent communities that have been deeply impacted um, by uh, the criminalization of, of, of cannabis. And we, we as an office, uh, we had a forum back in November, I think it was, and we intentionally had this at City College in Harlem, and we had a hybrid. It was in person and virtual um, because we definitely wanted to break the ice on the conversation of cannabis. We have to make sure that the economic opportunities, uh, the opportunities to actually uh, see justice uh, and, uh, in its own, uh, version of reparations does not pass us by as a community. So we are working really hard to be extremely transparent and provide information to our communities so that impact the communities. And by the way, when we say impacted as is described by the office of cannabis management, uh, 
they say that there is going to be some capital uh, to support um, individuals who are interested in getting into this in this industry. And they their goal, their goal is that 50% uh, will be by individuals who were directly impacted, either incarcerated, either you were kicked out of your home because of it. Um, that would give you some kind of priority in the process that they are still working out. And if you feel a little unclear as to how this is going to happen, it is not just you. Um, these are regulations that the board of cannabis is still working out. And this is good because this means that there is still a great deal of, of opportunity for you to weigh in on how those regulations should shake out to make sure that they make sense uh, for our uh, communities. And one of the things that I find a little concerning and I don't think it's being talked enough publicly, at least, is that we have to make sure that we don't create a market where people come in and want to be predatory. The information to getting the license, the information um, in terms of uh, how to navigate, it is free. Um, it is accessible. Uh, if you feel that there are issues that are going to make it unjustly difficult, uh, for, uh, individuals that have been impacted, then call us, call your state legislators, because it is your state legislators who are pushing this to make sure that our, um, communities are benefit economically, um, and, and, and also in terms of justice. Uh, so I, I just want to, um, I, I, I just wanted to do a little bit, uh, of a serious tone there because I am concerned that there are emerging bad actors saying that if you want a license, you must pay X, X, X. That is not accurate. Um, Hey, there's always going to be, you know, individuals, but let's, let's look at this as the big banks. You see how the big banks like to do, uh, be predatory. Let's learn from that. Let's not allow ourselves to be, uh, beguiled by these bad actors because everyone, um, wants to make money, but you want to make sure that people don't make money off of you because otherwise you're allowing yourself to be victimized again. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that. Um, moving along this week, we held a virtual, um, event on bail reform. It was a bail reform town hall. Um, Senator Robert Jackson and his colleague, Assembly Member Latrice M. Walker hosted a virtual bail reform. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about that real quickly so we can move on to the following? Sure. The whole issue of bail reform uh, obviously has been on the table. Uh, uh, you have a lot of people that are saying that the increase in uh, robberies and shootings uh, is as a result of bail reform and statistically it, it, we, it is shown uh, that bail reform had nothing to do with the increase in, in shootings and robberies and things like that uh, basically uh, uh, the increase in availability of guns through ghost guns and also uh, through the, uh, the pipeline coming up from Georgia and North Carolina and other states uh, bringing illegal guns into New York City, New York State, is the cause of this uh, and the pandemic. Uh, so basically, this was an opportunity to hear from um, uh, the DA uh, uh, Alvin Bragg, 
and the DA from uh, upstate and uh, uh, Tompkins County, which is Ithaca, New York, uh, and uh, some attorneys discussing about the bail reform and, and answering questions about it. And we did that for about an hour and a half to two hours, including uh, a couple of questions from people that have put in the chat as to questions about uh, judges, you know, how are judges selected? Uh, and also um, someone basically said about um, that, why don't we uh, get rid of this bail reform because it's not working? Uh, so there's going to be um, people out there spreading false rumors that bail reform is not working, uh, but it is working based on the, the statistics that show it. And, and the fact is that uh, people um, want to give judges um, the discretion to determine dangerousness in bail reform. And it was said uh, by the attorneys is that at the federal level, you can have a federal judge look at dangerousness, but not in New York State, because the law says that you cannot look at whether or not dangerousness is a factor. What you have to look at is, uh, is that individual going to return back uh, when it's the next court date? That's what bail is for. And so as a result of this, in my opinion, it was a very, very good forum. And I think that we're going to have to have more in the future in order to help to educate people what is really bail reform. But the messages that I've received uh, from both the Senate and the Assembly is we're not going to go back and look at bail reform. We did it in 2019. Uh, there were certain um, uh, crimes uh, that were not uh, bail eligible. We looked at that and revised that and made changes to those. Some of those that were now in 2020, the adjustments we made to bail reform, that, that the crimes are bail eligible. So with that said, uh, I just think it's about educating our people about what is bail reform and what have we done about it and to answer any questions that people may have to say is not working. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to also add that uh, besides attorneys, we also had a retired judge and New York County clerk, Milton Tingling. And I think that's important to point out because um, either we'll hear what well, the judges want changes or lawyers want changes. But we actually had a very experienced um, retired judge on it. And and I think that uh, some of the things that really came uh, out of that really great forum and by the way um you can still catch it um on the senator's official uh page on facebook uh senator robert jackson if you want to take a look at it and take a listen um but it's it's what we've always said uh is that we need to invest in our, in our communities we need to invest and make sure that these individuals um who have engaged with the criminal justice system uh have the opportunity uh, to straightening out their lives and that they have the proper support. That means resources and that means funding uh, programs. And, the, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. 98% of people out on no bail are not committing violent felonies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's good that we had this because it definitely does demystify mm -hmm. a lot of the, you can't curse here, but a lot of the bullshit that, that's being spewed out there. 
and this is good. And and so, which means that all those stories sensationalizing how bail reform is not working, that actually represents 2%. There you go. There you go. And, you know, and falling back again, it's, you know, this is a reform that decriminalizes poverty and ends recidivism. You know, we're, we're talking about mm-hmm. broken system that hurts, again, black and brown communities. So please um, watch the full video on Robert Jackson, Senator Robert Jackson's Facebook page um, and share it, please. Senator, congratulations. I heard, you know, during the week that you were named officially the new chair of civil services and pensions. Ta-ta-ta. Ta-ta-ta. How does that feel? Well, that's good. That's a good thing. Uh, as many of you know, uh, I've worked uh, uh, for the state of New York going way back in 1975 uh, to 1980. I investigated fraud. Um, and then I went to go work for a labor union that represented 55,000 professional scientific and technical employees. The union was the New York State Public Employees Federation. The acronym is PEF, P-E-F. And so uh, as a, a field representative and then uh, labor management coordinator and for the past like 12 years, the downstate director of field services overseeing New York and Long Island offices, I've been involved in the civil service uh, process for several decades. And so for me, this is an easy transition uh, because when you talk about civil service and pensions, well, obviously uh, I know about that, uh, but that's right in line with the type of uh, people uh, that are in civil service and also in pensions. And right now, the state pension right now, and if you join today, would be tier six. And I don't need to tell you the opinions of people that are in the system, what they think of tier six. And what am I doing? Thumbs down, yeah. I'm, I'm doing thumbs down because mm-hmm. basically, yes, it's better than nothing, but gee whiz, it can be it's, much. It's almost nothing. <laughs> it's, it, it could be a lot better. And in fact, a lot of unions and, and individuals are coming together and will be recommending changes mm. to tier six because Good. so many people are in tier six. Uh, but there, there was before that uh, other tiers, tier five, four, three, two, one. So one goes way, way back to uh, before 1975, you know. And even when I joined, I wasn't born yet. So. When I joined the state <laughs> system in '75, and I became permanent, I think maybe in '78, uh, I was in tier three. Mm. Uh, and then I withdrew my contributions uh, because I needed the money to survive. Uh, and subsequently, uh, I'm a member of tier four in the city of New York. And I have a funny story. Not, it's really not funny, but interesting story. Uh, to illustrate how serious uh, the senator is about uh, <laughs> making sure that staff uh, has access to good pension plans. Uh, so for those of you who may not know this, I worked for the senator when he was in the city council, uh, first as his legislative director, ultimately as his chief of staff. Uh, and it, it, we were in the city council when uh, it was about to become tier six. Um, so I think we were in tier five, right? Uh, so there were some, there were a few staff members that the senator, the then council member found out had not signed up for the pension. And he was like on everybody's back. You better sign up. You better sign up because you, you're, you're young now, but later you're going to regret it. You That's know? right. And, and he, um, 
he wasn't serious. Uh, I just want to make that clear. But I remember overhearing him tell one of our staff members, if you don't sign up for that pension before it expires, I'm letting you go. (laughs) I I said it like this, if you don't sign up for the pension, I'm going to fire you. (laughs) And like, you should see the face on the individual like, what? (laughs) And was I serious? I was serious about the individual signing up for the pension. Uh, but I was not serious about firing the individual. That individual did sign up for the pension. And when you're young, you may not think how important that is. Yes. But when you get older, now you're 30, now you're 40. I remember way back, uh, Connie Cabell. You don't know who she is, uh, but Connie Cabell uh, was uh, a woman uh, that worked for the state insurance fund. And she said, uh, I'm only going to be working here a year or two. I don't need to sign up for the pension. But she was still there 25 years later. Um, and you never know. Uh, so take advantage of the opportunities that you can in order to secure some future revenue for you when you become 65 or whatever the retirement age you may retire well because of who i am i'm just going to do a plug here for public education and that's why it's so important to teach our young people about financial literacy yes. and sustainability and making yes. the right choices for their lives yes. without a doubt i totally agree uh, folks that, that I, was a labor man speaking right there <laughs> and his chief of staff so really quick we see on your e-update that you have an event coming up in the upper west side ah yes Yes, yes, yes. Well, obviously, uh, many of you, if you have followed us, we have had uh, vaccines uh, throughout the community. Um, and now, Uptown Rising Initiatives. You may say, well, what is that? That's a group, an organization that we have partnered with uh, to have a vaccine ban in Inwood, in Washington Heights. And now it's going to be on the Upper West Side. We also have one in Harlem. And Harlem, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love all of our neighborhoods. Just want yeah. District 31 to know that. The, the last one that I attended with them was on 144th Street and Broadway uh, because uh, they were giving uh, vaccines and, uh, and booster shots. And masks, right? And masks, and we get our masks and sanitizers there. And so it's about making sure that our people are safe. And so obviously, this one is going to be on January 21st from 10.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Goddard Riverside Lincoln Square Neighborhood Center, 250 West 65th Street, New York, New York, 10023. So protect your family, protect yourself from this deadly virus. Let's fight COVID-19 together. No, really, get vaccinated. In fact, uh, I went to an event today uh, and the entrance people said, well, show me your vaccine card or uh, Excelsior Pass. And so I obviously I have Excelsior Pass on my phone. And so I showed it to them in order to get into the venue where I was. But it's extremely important if you have not done that, if you have not gotten vaccine or if you're not having gotten boosted, this is an opportunity on the Upper West Side, uh, got sponsored uh, at the venue of Garden Riverside community center and, and there's some good news um about that event i heard today from our friends at the Oyata group who are the ones who run uptown rising that they are also 
in the works to also have PCR testing on that day as well. That's excellent. PCR testing. That's good. That's excellent. And um, I just want to tell um, folks that are listening that you can show up to get your first vaccine, your second vaccine, your booster, Johnson, uh, Moderna, Pfizer, uh, what you need is what you get. Just make sure that the, if this isn't your first vaccine to please bring um, proof of your prior vaccines. Yes, 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 yes. So fun facts before we head out. Fun facts. Love fun facts. We already spoke about you last week, um, Senator, and, and I already called you out. You know, the okay. basketball game, it's on the it's on the table. Whenever I'm going to put want. it on the calendar. Put it on the calendar whenever he wants. <laughs> but now, let's talk about the chief of staff. I hear she has a lot of back orders um, for portraits that people want because she's a lot of people <laughs> don't know this. She's a visual artist. Yeah. And, you know, just give a little bit background on that. Um. So I've actually been drawing in painting since I was in third grade, actually. I was um, placed in a special program at my elementary school uh, for gifted artists. Uh, and I went on uh, to go to LaGuardia High School um, down by Lincoln Center, and I majored in art. And a story that I always say is that um, I, I always say that art saved me. Um, I lost my dad while I was in high school. And because I was able to do what I love most as an adolescent, it actually uh, helped me process my grief um, in the loss of my dad. Um, but it's something that I definitely, definitely need to go back to. Um, I am someone who will celebrate a two-year-old's um, what might look like chicken scratch to you. Um, I actually look at the negative space, you know, how they use their lines. Um, I really think about the value of the power of art. And I do have some blank easels in my house. Um, which is great. Um, I have to get some paints because I definitely plan to get back to it. Well, that's great. So parting words, um, Senator. Well, uh, up in Albany, I was, I decided to run inside the Empire State Plaza up and down six times for about three, three miles. Such a show and so I even, know. even when, no, 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 it's about, <laughs> listen, when you're up there and you're sitting down all day in front of uh, your computer, yeah, sometimes I put a box up there and I stand up uh, because uh, obviously I don't have the flexibility of, of my st uh, computer stand electronically going up and down. So I put a box up there and I stand up in order to zoom in wherever I'm going. But so what I've been trying to do is to uh, in the evening about 6.30 when I'm finished, to just go downstairs, I get my music, um, I get my, my headphones on one day and I had my little speaker in my hand the other day playing Jimi Hendrix and, 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 <laughs> and old school songs uh, running up and down just to stay in shape. You know, you have to stay in shape for your, for your mental health and your physical health. And so that's what I'm trying to do overall. Yes, folks. But please do not do it when it's four degrees outside. No, no, no. All right. So parting words, guys. Um, what do you wish to say to everyone in SD31 or the whole New York, not just SD31? Well, I'll turn to Joanna first. Okay. Um, I, I really just want to communicate that uh, we've, we've had a lot of loss. Um, and 
I really want everyone to look out for each other um, and yourselves. Um, we talked about the tragedy in terms of the fire. We've talked too much about people uh, dying uh, because of COVID. Please do get your checkups. There are other ailments uh, that can um, kind of end our life uh, prematurely. Uh, but one of the things that I, I am increasingly concerned about is our mental health. Um, you, I mean, you heard the senator talk about uh, jogging and running. He is an inspiration to all of our offices. One day he'll he'll be so inspiring that we'll actually run like him. Um, I'm hoping that we all get to that point. Um, but that does also go to mental health. And so I am uh, just wishing everyone uh, the utmost of mental health from our youngest to our elderly um, and always moving into this space uh, with peace. And for me, I, I think about the fire victims. Uh, I want you all to look at your apartment, your home, and, and, and go through with your family members uh, a fire drill, uh, looking at uh, your fire escape, uh, making sure you have a clear path there, making sure that your uh, uh, smoke detector and... Uh, uh, the sprinklers in the, in the lobby also. Sprinklers in the lobby, making the doors closed uh, so that you're safe. But also, I say to you, if you have a space heater or any type of heater, um, only have it on when you're up, do not have it on when you're sleeping or when you leave your house. And also when you're plugging in our cell phones and other electrical uh, things, do it when you are awake and not when you're sleeping. As you know, there have been fires from e-bytes uh, uh, being uh, 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 charged and caused fires already. That's a major issue of fires. And so your health and safety is number one. Uh, I've said that. Eric Adams has said that, so many other people have said that. So please take care of yourself. And in fact, I heard today on the news that someone was shoved into a subway and she was killed. And now they're looking at the mental health of that individual. So mental health is so important. So please be careful of your surroundings and just say a prayer for everyone, for peace and happiness for everyone throughout the world. Real quick, sorry, so sorry, uh, Edwin, but really, really important. Do not be afraid to speak to a therapist. Yes. Um, too many of our communities yes. stigmatize uh, getting help. Please um, try it out. If you don't like your first therapist, you can go to another one. But I, I am of the belief that every person should go to therapy at least once once even if you don't think you need it because you will learn so much more about yourself so please don't be afraid to reach out for help even professional help and if you reaching out and you don't know where to reach out dial 311 and let them know that uh, that you would like to uh, speak to a social worker or a therapist about some issues that you're having you can dial 311 and they will refer you or assign uh, someone or give you information where you can reach out. Well, there you go, folks. A state senator, his chief of staff, and myself as director of communications. Once again, we bring to you What's Up 31, the up, hottest, 31? the hottest, and I'll say it again, the hottest podcast about politics in New York right now. Actually, the hottest thing right now is Edwin's cup with Bernie and his gloves and green coat on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So, folks, um, please share. 
please share, please share and join us next week as we continue bringing you episodes that will highlight and share everything that goes on behind, not closed doors, because everything in government should be transparent. And this is the reason for this podcast, but things that maybe you can't see at the moment because you're not there. We're definitely going to keep you updated. Please continue to look out for Robert Jackson, Senator Robert Jackson's e-update. Um, if you have yet signed up, please reach out to our office. Um, what's the phone number? 212-544-73. Yes, there you go. Okay. Or the email. Or you could email. Jackson at nysenate.gov. There, there you go. So from Action Jackson, Joanna Garcia and her paintings, y este servidor, Edwin Rosario Masara, see you next week. Thank you. It's a wrap. <laughs>